It's just been a delight, you know, to see how the transition has happened, and it just has felt so natural. People ask us, uh, what's, how's retirement going? And we're like, I think you maybe misunderstood. We were going full-time for the national role, so life is fairly full. But um, we've been just delighted to see how John has led us, how the team, Susie and the others, have led us in this season. And we're enjoying being members of the church. Uh, we're here most services on a Sunday, and we're also still doing our two services each month, serving in Trenkids, which we love. If you were here last week and heard Amy say that today I would be speaking on the subject of holiness, you might have had mixed feelings. You might have thought, well, it's been over four months since John has spoken, so it might be nice to hear him again, but I'm not sure I like the sound of his subject. Perhaps you thought, maybe I should give this Sunday a miss. I'm glad you didn't. Because, you know, perhaps you felt like, I'm just not good enough. It's just going to make me feel bad. I'm hoping his three points are not, God's good, you're bad, try harder. (laughs) Well, you might be relieved to hear that that is not my intention as we look together at this subject. Holiness is far more than being good. It is much more about living out our identity in Jesus. And the Lord, ourselves, and the world being blessed by who we are and how we are. Today we're continuing, as John said, this series in 1 Peter. This is the first of two letters written by the Apostle Peter 2,000 years ago uh, to the Christians in what is today known as Turkey. And his readers were experiencing hardship and persecution, and so Peter's writing to encourage them to stand firm in their faith. He does this by speaking about what they think and about what they do, or as those who've spoken during the series have described, their perspective and their practice. Today we're going to focus on our practice by asking the question, how should everything that Peter has said so far affect the way that we live? And one of the answers that Peter gives to that question is that we should live life the way God designed us to live. And so we find this in 1 Peter 1 Verse 14 begins this way. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, holy is a bit of a difficult word for us in this culture. It's not a word that is found in everyday use. And when it is used, especially when describing Christians, it often has negative connotations. That person's holier than thou and so on. You may be exploring faith. You may be visiting us today. And when you just discovered I was speaking on the subject of holiness, you might have feared a sermon about all the things you are doing which Christians think you shouldn't be. I think it's fair to say that at times Christians have been harsh in our judgment of others, and used the beautiful concept of holiness, not as something that brings life and freedom, but as something which can be used even unintentionally to bring shame on others. The idea of holiness uh, can be seen as at best quaint, but at worst potentially harmful, because some of our beliefs based upon the contents of this book about things like identity, or sexuality, the sanctity of human life, or how we use our money are counter 
to most of the popular narratives. Like the readers of Peter's letter, Christians today can find themselves facing mockery, scorn, judgment for our beliefs, especially when it comes to the idea of holiness. But today I want to look with you at what that really means to dispel some of the myths about holiness, that holy living isn't just an old-fashioned idea, but one that is truly life-giving to us and also to those around us. So let's just start by looking at what the word holy means. In the passage that Peter here is quoting a phrase which appears several times in a book in the Old Testament called Leviticus, which instructs God's people on how to live God's way. The Hebrew word in those passages is kodesh, which means to be set apart, to be separate, to be different. God himself is utterly set apart. He is in a category of one. He is utterly distinctive, completely holy. We've called this series, well, I say we, I was invited to contribute to it. Uh, I have no idea who made the series come together, but uh, we've called this series When the Going Gets Tough because one commentator summarized the basic purpose of Peter's first letter as helping believers live for God in a society that is ignorant of him. So when Peter says, be holy because I am holy, he's saying when things are hard, when you face difficulties and even persecution for your faith, Stand firm, be different, be distinctive. In the Apostle Paul's language, he says in Romans 12 verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. In another translation of that verse, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. He's saying, don't be like a chameleon who takes on the color of its surroundings. When the pressure around you is to conform or to be squeezed into the world's mold, don't give in. Remember that you are set apart to be holy. There are many different aspects to this, but I want to look at three today. Being holy for God's sake, for our sake, and for the world's sake. Firstly, be holy for God's sake. In the Old Testament, uh, we find objects which were described as holy. Holy objects and utensils were set apart to be used solely for the administration in worship of the the sacraments and so on. Special items which were devoted to God to be used in worship. And in the same way, when Peter instructs us to be holy, he means be totally devoted to God. Where no area of our life doesn't belong to him, No behavior or decision isn't submitted to him. No priority isn't based on what we believe to be his priority. To be holy means to be holy gods, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy gods. And of course, that will have implications on our morality and our ethics. It will impact the choices that we make. It will impact the way that we live. But holiness isn't a set of rules things that we should do, and lots of things that we shouldn't do. Biblical holiness is so much more than that. It is a life so devoted to God that the way that we live, the choices that we make, 
our morals, our behaviors are shaped by that desire to give our lives wholly to him. For some of us, being holy might feel like an unattainable ideal. But when we start to understand holiness, not simply as keeping to a particular set of moral uh, beliefs and behaviors, but instead being set apart, totally devoted to God, that can be incredibly freeing. It means we can reimagine holiness, not through the lens of perfectionism, having to strive and struggle to be on our best behavior, but through our single-minded devotion to God. So what that means is that the opposite of holiness isn't impurity, it's half-hearted devotion to God. There are many, many extraordinary examples of people who've exhibited single-minded devotion to God, like Mother Teresa, who touched and served those whose society thought were untouchable. Harriet Tubman, who rescued fellow enslaved people from the ruling class who thought they belonged to them. Corrie ten Boom, who protected those the Nazi regime said were to be despised and executed in gas chambers. Martin Luther King, who spoke up for those whose skin color meant that society rejected them as second-class citizens. These people dedicated their lives to God. They were devoted to God, and they risked their own safety in expressing his heart in very difficult circumstances. Why? Because they were so totally devoted to God and living his way. When the going got tough, they continued to be distinctive, and that is Peter's encouragement to us. Now, when we are totally devoted to somebody, our heart's desire becomes to meet their heart's desire. Debbie and I have been together for just over 45 years. We've been married for a little over 40. And early on, and also sporadically over the years, Debbie has occasionally had a sudden urge to enjoy some chocolate. Uh, Cadbury's being her go-to. It doesn't matter if it's like chocolate buttons, large or small, or what were they? Fritos, what are they called? Freddo, little bars, or medium, or huge. It really doesn't matter, as long as it's Cadbury's and as long as it's chocolate. And I remember... There being a number of occasions when Debbie had the urge for chocolate after we'd got into bed. So sometimes at 11 p.m. or midnight, she would just say, do you know, John, what I really fancy? I would love some chocolate. <laughs> and my heart's desire was to meet her heart's desire. So I would get up, get dressed and jump in the car and then drive around until I found a garage or a shop that was open and return with what Debbie's heart so longed for. Unless you think I'm the hero in this, Debbie similarly seeks to do things which delight me. When you're devoted to someone, we don't ask, what do I have to do to please them? We say, what can I do? What can I do to delight them? And this, in the same way, when we are devoted to God, we want to be attentive to what would please him. Like the Apostle Paul, who writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our goal to please him. During a holiday many years ago in Turkey, Debbie and I went to the city of Ephesus. Many buildings from 2,000 years ago are still standing. And one of the things we saw was this. It's a stone relief 
of the goddess Nike, the goddess of victory from which the Nike company takes its name. Now, if you thought it was Nike who came up with the expression, just do it, here's an amusing thought. In Paul's letter to the church in that town, Ephesus, he says this, Ephesians 5.10, figure out what will please Christ and then do it. Then do it. That bears a significant resemblance, I think, to Nike's motto. And I wonder whether the Nike company realized that the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years prior to them, pretty much coined the phrase first. Figure out what will please Christ and then do it. Our holiness is for God's sake. He is blessed, he is pleased in so many ways when we live out our calling to be holy as he is holy. And Peter's encouragement is that when the going gets tough, keep on devoting yourself to God. Keep on doing everything you can to please him. Don't give up. Don't change. Be holy for God's sake. But also, be holy for our sake. If we look at over the page, chapter 2 and verse 11, it says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Sinful desires war against your very essence, your soul. A dominant narrative in the culture today that we live in is simply to find what feels good, discover your truth, and as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, then that is going to be the most freeing and fulfilling way to live. But it seems to be the opposite of what Peter is saying here. Not living God's way is simply not good for us. In fact, indulging sinful desires, the thing that we really are attracted to sometimes, can, war, can wage war against our souls. Our grandson, Winston, is about nine months old and he's loving learning to eat solid food. And his mum and dad have for months given him what they, they were eating to train his palate to enjoy healthy, nutritious foods so that he doesn't develop a taste for things which aren't good for him. So as you can see in this picture, even with no teeth, he's been chewing on steak and broccoli. When this picture was taken, he, he wasn't yet eating the steak, just tasting it as he enthusiastically chewed on it. And he loved it because his taste, his appetites are being shaped around what is good for him. And he, he still hasn't tasted sugar, but he's eating steak and pork and cottage cheese and yogurt and avocado and all sorts of stuff like that. Living as we do in a fallen world, our appetites have been disrupted and we have a, temp a, a tendency to be tempted by what looks attractive, things which appeal to our sweet tooth. We have a fallen tendency to enjoy and even crave things which are not in line with the fulfilling way that God designed us to live. In another letter, this time written by Paul to the Galatians, he suggests that if we choose to live life in a way that pleases ourselves, rather than figuring out what will please Christ and then doing it. This will not lead to a fruitful, fulfilling life. In fact, it will potentially lead to the very opposite. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and following, this is the message translation, but it kind of brings it to life if you're familiar with the New International Version or others. And this is what Paul writes. 
It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. And Paul goes on then to speak very colorfully in describing the results of pursuing headlong sinful appetites and desires, which, as Peter said, wage war against your soul. This is what he writes. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied once. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community I could go on. And then Paul continues, but what happens when we live God's way? In other words, when we figure out what will please Christ and then doing it. Listen to this. I think it sounds a whole lot more attractive in this next paragraph. He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way as fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. So if we just pick out a few phrases from both those paragraphs, when we try to do it our way, when we we look for what pleases us and then do it. Paul says there's a potential for all these things. And obviously they're, they're quite colorful and these are like, if you pursue headlong that agenda. He says there's hatred and an impotence to love or be loved. Whereas when we live God's way, there is affection for others. When we live our way, there is a potential for discord and dissensions. When we live God's way, there is serenity or peace. When we live our way, there's jealousy, factions, and envy. When we live God's way, there are loyal commitments. When we try to do it our way, there is a potential for a brutal temper. When we live God's way, there's the ability to marshal and direct our energies wisely, which another translation calls self-control. I think you would agree that God's way looks a whole lot more attractive. Peter writes, be holy because I am holy, and Paul unpacks why being holy is actually for our sake. It is for our sake because it's the way God designed us to live. It is for our good. And maybe we agree, you know, that sounds great, but it it sounds hard. But the good news is that if you would describe yourself as a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have already been made holy through Jesus. Amy read it last week, verse 9 here. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a holy nation. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul describes his readers by saying that they are holy 
and dearly loved. So corporately together as the people of God, we are holy. And also as individuals, we are holy. How? Well, through Christ's righteousness imputed to us. We are forever made perfect as we continue to be made holy. There's a verse somewhere in the Bible that says that. Sorry not to be prepared on that one, but it came to mind. Um, So holiness is not so much about what we do, but who we are. You already are holy. So what Peter's saying here is be who you already are. As Amy said, when we know who we are, it shapes how we are. In other words, we change our conduct to fit with our identity. As holy people, we shouldn't just be okay with our shortcomings, with our sin. We shouldn't accept falling into the old patterns. We should be making decisions which reflect our identity. We are to act as holy people act, be who we already are. And that doesn't mean as soon as you become a Christian, suddenly um, we... You know, you get things perfectly right all the time. We all mess up. We all continue to mess up. And this side of heaven, I'm afraid that is the case. We all have areas that we will struggle with. We still rely on God's grace, on his forgiveness for every shortcoming. But our aim is to cooperate with God's work in our lives and act in a way that reflects who we already are. If there are things in our life we know are just not in line with the way that God wants us to live, of course we need to take personal responsibility for those. We need to play our part. As John Stott put it, we must actively cultivate a Christian life for holiness is not a condition into which we drift. We are not passive spectators of a sanctification God works in us. So we need to partner with what God is doing in our lives to play our part in not conforming to the pattern of this world, but we're not doing it on our own. God's Holy Spirit is working continually in us, making us look more and more like Jesus, helping us to more fully become who we already are. So when the going gets tough, Peter says, be holy, don't give up for God's sake, for your sake, But also, be holy for the world's sake. This is verse 12 here. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Holiness is one way that we can reflect God's character to the world and show those who don't know him who he is. Later in the letter, in chapter 3, he encourages his readers to live God's way, even under persecution, because it will be a witness to those who are persecuting them. Some of you may remember the visitors from Open Doors coming recently to share their story with us here. And they came from a country we can't name, but where being a Christian could lead to imprisonment or even death. And they told the story of a a leader. The church is completely underground. It's illegal to be a believer in Christ, follower of Christ, Jesus. Uh, but the leader of a secret church who had prayed for his friend to become a Christian for over 30 years, bearing in mind he wasn't free to share his faith, talk about Jesus and so on, simply prayed for him. And one day, that friend called him from his deathbed. And he confessed that the whole time they had known each other, 30 years plus, this guy had been a government spy sent to report back on everything this Christian leader had done. 
But he also said that he had not been reporting back about their church and his friend's faith, which put himself for all those years in considerable danger. Why? He had seen the way that this church leader had lived and had chosen not only not to report him to the authorities, but also he asked whether he could be introduced to the God that he had witnessed his friend following all those years. That is amazing. Living a life devoted to God, even when or maybe especially when we face trials and persecution, will not go unnoticed. When being holy is so counter to our current culture, being holy provides an incredible opportunity to live in such a way that those around us ask questions. They're intrigued by our life. You've got something I don't have, and and the way you live, I can't figure it out. What is the answer? And the answer, of course, we know. It's the Sunday school answer to most questions, and that is, thank you. The only answer is Jesus. When they ask, why are you so generous? Why did you forgive that person instead of holding on to resentment and anger? Why are you holding on to your virginity until marriage? Why don't you swear or get drunk at parties? Why don't you join in with the office gossip? And I'm sure you can think of examples of your own. Living a Kodesh life, one that is set apart, devoted to God, distinctive, will be noticed by and will be a blessing to those around you. One tiny example we've always sought to run the uh, finances of the church with transparency and with integrity because we believe that's the way that God would have us handle money. Some time back, uh, a young woman started to attend the Alpha course here, and having not come from a Christian home at all, her father was very concerned about what she was getting into here, and so he decided he would check us out. I think maybe he went online. He happened to see a talk that I did on the subject of finances, And he was convinced that not only probably were we a cult, but we had some kind of financial scam going on to boot. And so he's a business guy, and he went to, I believe it was Companies House website. He downloaded several years' worth of the church's annual audited accounts and went through them in detail. And having gone through them, he could not find any fault with what we were doing. In fact, he was quite impressed by what we were doing. And so shocked was he at this, he decided to check us out in person. He started coming along on Sundays and eventually put his faith in Jesus. (laughs) Praise the Lord. When we live life God's way, devoting ourselves to him, we will inevitably be distinctive. And that can be an incredible witness to the world. One of the main ways that those around you will get a glimpse of Jesus is in you. You are the only person uniquely placed where you are, in your workplace or in your family or wherever you are in your neighborhood. Where's Jesus? What does he look like? There's old paintings and stuff you can look at with a halo and stuff. Is that, is that Jesus? Is that? No, that's what they're seeing. It's you. The way you make decisions, the way you treat people who don't treat you well, the way you share your resources, the way you love other people sacrificially. So Peter says, when the going gets tough, don't conform, don't give up on what makes you different. Be holy for the sake of the world. Peter wrote his first letter to Christians facing 
difficult times. And even though we might not be facing persecution today, every single one of us will go through tough times. And Peter's advice to us would be the same. Be holy for God's sake. Devote your life to him in the good times and the hard. Do everything you can to please him. Be holy for your sake. Living God's way, even when it's hard and costly to do so, is the only way to lasting peace and joy and a truly fulfilling life. And be holy for the world's sake. Show them through the way you live your life how utterly amazing he is. If you'd like to join me in standing.